brothers. Welcome back to another episode of Porn and the Gospel. I am your host, Spencer Sutton, and today we're going to walk through How to Quit Porn, episode three. And now I don't know how many episodes there's going to be because I'm, I'm uh, putting this together just for this podcast and, and also for our YouTube channel. Uh, so if you want to watch this podcast, you can definitely do that. Go to YouTube. Um, it's a great way to, to see these visuals because I have slides for every single uh, point that I'm making as I'm going through it. But you don't have to. You can stay here and listen to it on uh, whatever, um, wherever you get your podcast. But I'm excited to be here because this is really where uh, the rubber meets the road, as they would say. So this is when we start putting a lot of practical application into this war against pornography. And so at the end of this uh, entire um episode, I'm going to give you several things to do, some assignments that you can do at home, you can do with your, you know, by yourself that will help you start thinking through how to quit porn. And, and so um, I think this will be extremely beneficial for you, but they won't make sense. The assignments won't make sense unless you listen to the entire thing, unless you watch the entire uh, episode on YouTube. So let's get into it. Now, uh, I do want to say this. I was reminded of this this weekend. I was in a, uh, I have started doing more races. Uh, back in October, I did a Spartan Ultra, which, which is just a, a bunch of obstacles with running. I've gotten uh, more and more into uh, trail running which is different from my typical CrossFit type workouts. Um, so I've been doing a little bit of both and, and something that I've really enjoyed is going out and running on the trails. And so this weekend I was in a race with some friends. We were at a lake called Lake Martin uh, near our house. And uh, it was just a lot of, a lot of great fun, but it was really, really interesting because I had a lot of time to think on the trails. It was 27 miles, took me six hours and just a lot of time to think. And it was really interesting because I started to think that like life is a lot like one of these long trail races, like an endurance race. And so even yesterday morning in my quiet time, I went and just was recapping my thoughts on this race, but I was pulling from Hebrews and how many times Hebrew calls on us as believers to to not drift, to stay on course, to endure the long race, like over and over and over and over. Um, the book of Hebrews is an encouragement and a warning. So an encouragement to stay on the path and look to Christ and a warning not to get off the path. And I started thinking about all of you and myself included, like this journey that we're on called life. And it is a long endurance race. And the problem that I see with so many men, and it used to be my problem, is that we are not seeking, like we're not running our race, we're looking for the path of least resistance. Like, how can I have the most ease and comfort in this life? How can I avoid pain? How can I avoid discomfort? How can I avoid dealing with issues in my life that are really, really important? Instead, how can I medicate them? And so what happens 
on the trail, if, if I were to go out and just, if I were to start this race this past Saturday and start thinking of all the reasons, all the excuses to quit, to stop, then, then I would have, it would have been very, very easy just to stop and, and to tap out and to, and to walk back to the car and leave. And guess what? Nobody would have really cared. Now, maybe my friends would have said something to me. They would have kind of worn me out or something, but but nobody would have really cared. Like it would have been the same day to day. Like it would have been a normal day today. There's no, no major consequences, but that is not the case in life. And that is why the writer in Hebrew warns the people looking back to Exodus. He says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so I want to ask you, as we kick off this podcast, listen to the voice of the Lord. Don't listen to Spencer. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to what he's telling you to do. And do not harden your hearts. And do not look for the path of least resistance. Don't think of all the excuses and all the reasons why you should quit fighting this fight. You should not quit. Like, I couldn't have run. This race was just 27 miles. And I say just, yes, just because in the, in the world of ultra running, like there are people who run hundred mile races. There were people out there Saturday running 100, hundred mile races. And I was, anytime I found, anytime I was running beside somebody who was doing that or with somebody and I would ask them, how far are you running today? And they said hundred miles. I was just like, man, hats off to you. You are a trooper. <laughs> like we cannot stop. The race is going to be long. We don't know how long we have. Some people are going to be running for hundred miles. Some people are going to be running for 50 miles. Some people are going to be riding, running for 30 miles. We do not know how long we have, but we cannot quit. We cannot stop. And so let's, let's get into this right now. So what is your motivation for wanting to be done with pornography? That is a great question to ask yourself. What is your motivation? And I can't remember. I may have covered this on a different podcast where we talked about your motivation. Maybe so. Not really sure, but people have all kinds of motivations for wanting to be done with porn and all kinds of worthy motivations, right? So there's motivations like, I just don't want to be in shame anymore. I'm tired of the shame. Uh, at our church, we've been reading Genesis uh, one through three, the past several weeks. And of course, in Genesis three is the fall. And even yesterday in church, we were uh, reading about how Adam and Eve immediately ran and, and hid, hid themselves because they were, they were ashamed of what they had done and God went looking for them. And, and isn't this true of us? So like when we're struggling with pornography, there's so much shame. We just want it to stop. So it could be your motivation is freedom from shame. It could be to prove that you can overcome temptation. You feel like everybody else has their life together. Why can't you get your life together? And so your motivation is I've got to prove to myself that I can overcome this temptation. And yes, we pay lip service to God. Oh, God's going to help me get through this, but we don't really depend on him. And really the motivation is ourselves. It's really self glory. I'm strong enough. I can do this. Or Maybe it's to improve or save your marriage. And that's not a bad motivation either. Like I want to improve my marriage. Therefore I need to be done with pornography so that I can build 
intimacy with my wife. How do you build intimacy? You let her know who you really are. Like transparency. And for a majority of men, a majority of a vast majority of Christian men who struggle with pornography, their wives just don't know. And so they want to improve their marriage, but what men don't understand that is truly improving your marriage is being completely transparent. Now, I'm not saying it happens on day one <laughs> or day 20. When Alice and I had our major marriage crisis in 2013, goodness gracious, it wasn't years later that I truly admitted the extent of my struggles with pornography. And it wasn't something that I struggle with every single day. But, but it's still the stories that we tell ourselves keep us hidden in fear and hidden away from the light of God. Because everybody else looks like they have their life together. That's not true. So what is your motivation? So what do we see all throughout scriptures? Now, I've, I've noted here on this slide, like, what do we see in Exodus? But there absolutely throughout scripture is an overriding purpose of God's deliverance of his people in different ways and in different circumstances. And like you can read story after story after story of the Bible, and it's the picture of God saving his people, redeeming his people, making a way for his people over and over and over. even in first Samuel, I want to say too, Hannah was childless and she prayed and called out to the Lord and the Lord gave her a child. And then we have the song of Hannah that is just a beautiful praise and honor to God. And so what do we see? So look at this first Exodus uh, 2, 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So does this describe your struggle with pornography? Are you groaning because of your slavery? Are you crying out to God for help? Are you crying for rescue from this slavery? If you are, if you truly are, then, then know that God hears your groaning and he remembers his covenant with you that was sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He hears you. He sees you. He will rescue you. Don't don't, don't think that you are stuck forever. He will rescue you, but it's going to take more than your good theology for rescue to come. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, a little bit later, but what is the motivation? The point is, what is your motivation? And so what we see is all throughout Exodus, and I've got several passages. I'm not going to read all of these right now because it, we would be here forever. We could spend an entire episode just talking about this, but Exodus 3, 19 through 20, verse 22, Exodus 7, 2 through 5, Exodus 9, 12, Exodus 9, 15 through 16, Exodus 10, 1 and 2, Exodus 14, 4, Exodus 14, 
13 through 14, over and over and over and over, God is saying, I will deliver you and you will give me glory. I have brought Pharaoh into your life so that when I rescue you, my name may be glorified. Brother, God desires and deserves glory from you when he releases you from prison, when he overcomes your enemy, when he destroys your enemy and you're walking in purity and you're walking in freedom, what is he looking for? He's looking for the praise and the honor and the glory that is due his name, period, the end. All of scripture points to this. And so when we minimize and shrink the cross by pretending we can do it and by performing our way and saying, God, look at my good works, we shrink the cross and we don't have anything to give God glory for because we rob him of his glory. We take glory for ourselves. No, 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 God, I got it. I can do it. I can do it. Or when we say, I, I want freedom from pornography for myself, like to feel better about myself, to prove that I can do it, to relieve me of the shame that I'm feeling, to have a better marriage. That's self-centered. And that's not the purpose. The purpose of freedom is to give God glory, is to praise him. The result is you have the song of Moses in Exodus 15, when God releases them from their enemies. And Moses said, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Brother, you and I must go to war, but understand it is the Lord who is the man of war. He fights on our behalf. It is not in my strength. It's not in my strength. I was just reading this morning in my quiet time, 2 Samuel. I want to say chapter 22 is like chapters 20 through 22. This is the end of David's life, the end of David's reign. He's been freed from his enemies. Now, David's life was not easy at all. Wasn't easy before he was anointed, after he was anointed, after he became king, like he was on the run constantly, enemies from without and enemies from within, yet the Lord saved him from everything. And so let's look at what David's response was when he was freed from his enemies, when his enemies were overcome. And David, I didn't even cite the passage. I, I want to say this is 2 Samuel 2.22. In this slide, I didn't say exactly where it was from. Verse 1, and David spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and, the hand, and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of shield entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, 
and my cry came to his ears. And skipping down to verse 50, that was verses one through seven, verse 50. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. What is the point here? David just, he could not get over the grace and the power and the freedom he experienced through God. Look at it. The key word here is that keeps being repeated is my. So David's saying, God is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Even though the word is my, he's pointing to God over and over and over. He's saying, this is who God is. This is who God is. And, and th- what I love is I, as I was writing, reading all this this morning, I was writing in my journal. I was like, look at all these things that God is. He's a deliverer. He's a shield. He's a horn of salvation. He's the refuge. He's the rock over and over and over. He's my savior. And then I wrote down, well, what did, what did David bring to God? So this is what God brought to David. What did David bring to God? He, he didn't bring anything. <laughs> This is what he says. He says, the waves of death encompass me. So he brought God waves of death, torrents of destruction, the cords of Sheol, snares of death. He brought him distress. He he brought him cries. This is what David brought God. All of these things, like just his distress and his trouble and his fears and his torment and all of these things is what he brought God. What did God bring him? Salvation and rock and refuge. And the result was, David said, because of this, I will praise you among the nations. And brother and sister, this is, this is for us. Like when I think about this, I think, man, God saved me for the purpose of praising him among the nations and it starts in my home and it goes through my church and then it goes to the city and then it goes to the nations god has called us to make disciples so when christ gave his commission matthew 28 this is what he meant he's like i and i've saved you for the purpose of making disciples among the nations And don't worry, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So this is the purpose. I want you to understand this is the purpose for God's freedom for you. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. It's good. It's good to give God praise for the things that he has done in your life, is doing in your life, and will do in your life. So brother, I want want you to know you can praise him for what he's going to do. Praise him. Already give him praise for the freedom you will experience through the power of his spirit. It will happen. God will move. God will act. God will save. He saves and he's worthy of our praise. So now we're turning the corner. Now that we have the, like, we've got a, a, a lot of background in, in the first couple of episodes and, and uh, of podcasts with how to quit porn. Now we're turning the corner. We're going to start moving into like, where am I? Like, what is this thing I'm struggling with? So we're going to talk about what is sexual sin and what is sexual addiction. 
And some of this uh, information I have I've gotten from a a, a uh, incredible researcher. His name is Patrick Carnes. Um, he's not he's not a believer, but he's done a lot of research on sexual sin, not sexual sin, sexual addiction. Um, I know, I don't know if he'd classify it as sin, but, uh, Patrick Carnes, he's written a book that I read called, uh, out of the shadows, which is great. Another gentleman who I highly respect, who is a believer, his name is Mark Laser, um, Mark and Debbie Laser, uh, L A A S E R written several books about, um, sexual sin and pornography. They are believers. Uh, Mark has since passed away. I know he, uh, was sick for a while and has passed away. But um, some of this information that I'm about to share with you here has come from them. So I want to give credit where credit is due. But um, but let's walk through this. So what is sexual sin? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the characteristics of sexual sin um, that calls for rescue and intervention. And this is what I like to think. Love covers and love rescues. Okay, so love covers and love rescues. So 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So brother, as you are struggling in with this sexual sin, just know that there are those out there who love you earnestly. Like there are brothers that you can trust. So I hope Based on our last episode, I hope that you've identified a band of brothers, maybe one or two or three or four brothers in Christ who love you earnestly, who you can confess to, who you can confide in, who you can go to, who can encourage you, rebuke you, love you. And it says love covers a multitude of sins. So what that means is we're not picking apart every single sin, right? It doesn't like as believers, as men, like this podcast is not about how do you, how are you a sinless person? Because that's never going to happen. But when I love somebody, love covers a multitude of sins. I'm thinking about my kids. My, my kids may do wrong. I don't have to point out every single thing that they do wrong or that they could improve. I can love them regardless. But love does cover, but also love rescues. So Galatians 6.1, brother, if anyone is caught, this really means caught up in any transgression. In other words, a life of habitual sin. If anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual, now this is not, does not mean the pastors of the church or the elders of your church or the deacons of your church. This is any believer who's filled with the spirit. So when Paul's writing you who are spiritual, this is you who are filled with the spirit should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Like the spirit of gentleness, like out of love and concern, like this is what love does. Love Love covers sin and love rescues from sin. So if you have a band of brothers who's reaching out to you, who's, who's asking about you, and they're doing it in a spirit of love, and we, we need to be restored with a spirit of gentleness, with tremendous amount of empathy. I was just uh, on Voxer today with a brother in Australia, he, he sent me a message and was just saying how he um, had just confessed to a friend of his, shared his struggle with him, and that, that guy, uh, his friend, 
told him that he also had struggled with pornography yet had found freedom. And I was like, man, this is a perfect guy for you. Like this person is going to have tremendous amount of empathy. He's going to, he is going to speak with you with a spirit of gentleness. He is going to be there with empathy and love. So let's look at the characteristics of sexual sin that has become addictive, right? So these are, and I want to say this is from Patrick Carnes. So this is, these are characteristics of sexual sin that has become addictive. So this is what the addiction looks like. It is repetitive, right? So it, the question to ask is, is your pornography use repetitive? Well, probably so. It's degenerative. It's not improving your life at all. It's unmanageable. Like, how have you tried to manage it in the past? How have you tried to manage it? And some of you may have said, oh, no, 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 I can manage it. But can you really? It's medicative. This is a big one. This is what we do, guys. Problems in our marriage, porn. Problems in ourself, porn. Problems at work, porn. It's medicative. Like, you need to understand that you are medicating refusing to collide with issues in your life and it's destructive again it's not helping your marriage now i know plenty of men even even christians who will say it's helpful in marriage to watch pornography even if we watch it together well if we watch it together it's okay it helps us spice up our lifetime no it's destructive it's destructive don't care what your wife says. <laughs> She's a follower of Christ and you're a follower of Christ. Mm, yeah, not, not helpful at all. Don't lie to yourself. You can lie to yourself. You can lie to each other, but it's just not the truth. So what are the building blocks of sexual addiction? I want to say I got this from Mark Laser. The building blocks, so the very beginnings, beginning of sexual addiction, full-blown sexual addiction is sexual fantasy, pornography, and masturbation, which is kind of the baseline. Like this is the baseline, what, what men who struggle with pornography, this is, if you're listening to this and you are a man who struggles with pornography, you struggle with all of these. Like these three things are, are it, right? I've, I've, and I've heard people tell me before, well, I struggle with pornography, but not masturbation. Come on. These are the building blocks. They all go together. This is how it starts and how it continues, but these are just the building blocks. So just think of like building a foundation. If you want to build something massive and a tower and you want to build a building something that everybody can see well this is how you start you start with these basic building blocks so the building block behaviors fantasy pornography masturbation prostitution affairs and then it goes on to level what they what they call level two behaviors so building blocks and then you have level two so you graduate you graduate to these more what people would classify as more severe behaviors or level two behaviors, voyeurism, exhibitionism. I just read an article a few months ago of a comedian who uh, was just charged with exhibitionism, like this pretty well-known comedian. 
and and he, he eventually got caught uh, exposing himself to people. Indecent liberties, internet sex, bestiality, sadomasochistic or pain exchange, all of those that I just listed are level two behaviors. And then it goes on to offending behavior, incest, molestation, and rape. So I want you want you brothers to understand you're like wow man i don't have a problem with incest never raped anybody never had internet sex never never had a problem with exhibitionism be careful that you're not comparing yourself to other people in order to feel better about yourself in order to feel superior about yourself Like it's sin, it's sin. It's just sexual sin. Let's just call it for what it is and, and be okay with that. Let's just be brutally honest. You need to be brutally honest. I have a whole podcast episode on the truth of your current condition. You know what? It's, it's probably the least downloaded podcast that I have. Why? Because the truth of your current condition doesn't sound too fun. <laughs> it doesn't sound fun. People don't like to admit it. I'd rather dance around it. Which is why, I mean, guys, you have friends, you have brothers in Christ who struggle with the same thing you do, but neither one of you would dare admit it to yourselves because you're pretending that everybody else's is worse than yours. Or you may think yours is the worst and that they would reject you if you told them. Those are all stories. So admitting your true condition. So these are the things that you need to think about your history. So I would encourage you to, to write some of this stuff down. This is part of the practical application. Like how old were you when you started looking at pornography? How did it start? How did your problem with pornography start? What happened? What are your primary triggers? Now we're going to about to talk about triggers. Are, is it stressed, bored, lonely, angry, anxious, sad, afraid? What steps have you taken in the past to stop or have you taken any steps like listening to this podcast may be the first step in the positive direction that you're taking. So think about your history with porn. Like you need to stop and think most men do not stop and think about their history with pornography uh, and you need to identify where you are. Are you in the building block stage, which is everything from fantasy to pornography, to masturbation, to affairs, into adultery. Those are just the building blocks. Or maybe you're in level two. Or maybe you've graduated to the offensive behavior. Whatever the case is, guess what? Love rescues. Christ can rescue you from this. I know men who have been caught up in the craziest, wildest, sexual lifestyles and God rescued them. Unfortunately, you don't hear a lot about them because it's not fun to talk about this in church. Pastors are typically not excited to give a whole sermon series on pornography. Maybe even they're not excited to give a sermon, one sermon on how God rescued them from pornography. 
but we should be talking about it. Why should we be talking about it? Because there's so many men trapped in pornography. How, how are churches going to thrive when their men, their leaders are struggling with pornography? There's like untapped potential. You have five and 10 talent men in the church who are burying their talents because they're covered up with shame. What are the consequences of your porn? So, so when you're thinking about your history, what has porn cost you? Are there physical consequences? Are there financial consequences? Are there social consequences? Are there vocational consequences? What about legal or spiritual? Get your journal out and write about these things. I'm looking at it and I can tell all of these physical, financial, social, vocational. I didn't have any legal consequences, but definitely had all the rest. I had physical, financial, social, vocational, and spiritual. I did not have any legal issues. Physical consequences for me, I'm going to talk about myself, physical consequences, lack of intimacy with my wife. Because I had just decided, well, it's easier. I don't have to, like, I don't need to build intimacy with Allison when I can just have this fake intimacy over here. So there were physical, like we, our, our sex life suffered because of this financial. Yes. I lost my job social. Absolutely. When, when my life blew up in 2013, everybody knew all of my friends knew all of their wives knew. Like I was, it was, I was just drowning in shame at having been discovered vocational. Yes. I was fired spiritual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those building blocks separated. Like I, there was during that period of time, like, did it happen always? No, it didn't happen always. Like even in the midst of me struggling with pornography, I saw the Lord work in my life. I saw the Lord work in never thirst, which was the nonprofit that we started. However, could have been so much more like God could have received so much more praise from my life. So definitely spiritual consequences. All right. So let's talk quickly about the status quo. And so I'm, I'm referring back to the circle of insanity, which is a picture of the status quo where you are currently. And this is the circle of insanity that we go through. It's our pattern of, of what happens when we're struggling with pornography. So you have a status quo, then you have a trigger. So let's talk about status quo. Wounds are a big deal in your life. Now, when I ever heard somebody in the past talking about wounds, I would think, no, get over it. But it's, it's, that's a horrible way to look at it that I've learned because I've had to go back. I've had to go back and look at my own life and think about wounds that I've had in my life. Like zero people on the face of the planet had a perfect childhood. Zero. You have not had a perfect childhood. Nobody's had a perfect childhood. So there are wounds in your life that you struggle with, whether you want to admit it or not. So what do these wounds look like? Well, wounds could be traumatic experiences. Like these could be things 
big things that happen in your life that you will never, ever forget. I mean, I was just, and I have a picture up here of the, of the twin towers because I'm thinking of traumatic experiences. Like everybody who's listening to this, if you were alive, when nine 11 happened, then you remember where you were. You never forget it. Well, you, in your life, you also have experiences like that. So these are traumatic experiences. Maybe it was something that was said to you. Maybe it was what somebody did to you. Nobody had the perfect childhood. So there's two types of wounds, wounds of commission and wounds of omission. And wounds of commission um, are things that are done to you. So they're invasive in nature, right? So physical wounds, emotional wounds, sexual wounds, spiritual abuse, like think about physical, emotional, sexual, and spiritual abuse. These things are wounds of commission, things that were, that are invasive, that were done to you. Just like I talk a lot about lies of commission and lies of omission. So lies of commission are the lies that we tell other people. Lies of omission are the things that we should say that we don't say. So these are wounds of commission. What do wounds of omission look like? Well, they're neglect, physical or emotional abandonment. Now, my wife has struggled with some of these wounds because she was given up at birth for adoption. And, and so she had this sense that her mother didn't want her. Now, she didn't understand until she um, was was united like reunited with her mother her birth mother when she was in after she graduated from college which her parents are always told her listen if you ever want to find your birth mother we'll help you and so there was a great uh her ability to build a relationship with her birth mother um when she was an adult but definitely like things that should have been done to her that weren't and so the truth is that wounds filter the truth like, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have said the truth is, well, get this wounds, the wounds that we have, either wounds of commission or omission filter the truth. Now I got this example from Mark Laser. I'm pretty sure he's said this and, um, it, it's, but it's just a beautiful picture. So just imagine a coffee pot and all of our wounds are like coffee grinds that, that sit there on top of the pot. And when the truth of God's word gets poured onto those coffee grinds, onto our wounds, we filter everything through like the vision of who we think we are. We, we, we filter all of God's truth through the wounds and our past experiences, which is why many of you have trouble seeing God as a loving father because you didn't have a loving father. And so do you understand how you filter the truth of who God is and who God says you are through your past experiences? Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but you, you might not believe that based on what people have told you in the past but it's the truth. It's the truth. John three sixteen. God gave his one and only son to save us from our sins, but you may not think that you're worthy of saving, 
or maybe you were taught to be self-sufficient. And so you don't think you need saving. Do you see how that would filter the truth of what God, God's word says? 100%. So this is your status quo. The whole point of all this is this is your status quo. You are going along. You are wounded, 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 going along as if you don't have any problems, but you do. You do. And they, they are like, if they're not dealt with, then it will be a problem for you 100%. So questions to answer, things that you maybe can write down in your journal. Can you remember a time when you felt worthless? Like, write it down. When was it? Have you ever felt that you weren't good enough for someone or that someone didn't like you because of who you are? Who was that person? How did they make you feel? Can you think of a time when you felt hurt or angry because you wouldn't or couldn't ask for help? Describe that time. Now, these things that I'm asking you to do are like, they're not extraordinarily difficult assignments, but they're easier not to do than to do. And so if you just think about it in your head, yeah, that's okay, but it's better if you write these things down and, and put pen to paper will help you tremendously. So we go from the status quo, we go to trigger. So the first thing that happens to us when we're talking about pornography the struggle with pornography, the first thing that happens to you is there is a trigger introduced to your life. And triggers create stories. So a lot of people blame the trigger for what goes on in their life, for their problems, but it's not. It's really the stories that you tell yourself. So what are triggers? Well, triggers can be external, like a trigger may be a movie or a commercial or you may be at the gym and see somebody, you could be at work, you could be alone. So these are external things, like things that are not inside of us, just a trigger, right? You catch somebody at the gym, or you happen to see a movie, and boom, there's a trigger. And the trigger creates these stories, right? So you can also have internal triggers. These can be emotions where you're sad, or you're angry, or you're stressed, or you're bored. I was just talking uh, to a buddy the other day, we had coffee, and we were just talking very, very openly about our struggles. And, you know, he told me he was like, man, super stressed at work. And the way I cope with it is I cope with I cope with it. uh, With control, I want to control everything around me. So I'm overbearing with my wife and my kids. And then I also cope with pornography. So that's, a, that's an internal trigger stress was for this guy. So list your most noticeable and frequent triggers in your journal. Like r- just write them down. What are the things that trigger you? What are the things that trigger you? They're not excuses. It's just the trigger. It starts the whole process. And what can you do to prevent a trigger from leading to stories or rituals, which we're going to talk about rituals here as well. So what are your stories? So triggers create stories. You have stories of justification and stories of entitlement. And, and quite honestly, like we could do a whole podcast on storytelling, 
<laughs> These are the stories that you tell yourself. I was at dinner with a friend the other night and he was talking about how um, his life is, I mean, his marriage is totally disintegrated and he was just, and we were sitting there talking and um, he said, man, I, I destroyed my family because of this. And he said, you know, my wife, and he said her name, uh, my wife and I, you know, we could never be, we could never be um, reconciled. And I looked at him. I said, that's just a story you're telling yourself. He said, you think so? I said, yeah, of course. It's a story that you're telling yourself. And that's an easy way to give up. It's an easy way to stay a victim is to tell stories like that. Do you, brother, want to be a victim for the rest of your life? Victim mentality is, I'm stressed. I need to go to porn. Well, it's because I'm stressed and I'm going to porn. And that's, that's it. No, that's just a trigger. So your stories of justification are, she doesn't understand how I need sex. She doesn't like sex, so I have to. If she were prettier or more adventurous in bed, this wouldn't happen. Here are just some very common stories that married men tell themselves. Well, we're not just not having enough sex. She doesn't understand how I need it, so therefore porn is okay. What about stories of entitlement? We believe no one understands what we've been through or the pain we felt. No one will love me the way I need to be loved. So I deserve this. I have to take care of myself. My wife just let my dogs down into uh, the basement, into my office. <laughs> so these are the stories, stories of justification, stories of entitlement. How do you combat your stories? Well, you combat your stories with the word of God. Paul says in Colossians, set your mind on things above. What do you think that means, set your mind on things above? Paul's essentially saying, tell the truth to yourself by reading God's word. God's word has truth. They're not stories for story's sake. They're not lies. It's truth. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to set your mind on things above. Do you feel stressed? Do you feel alone? Do you feel nobody cares about you? Go to the Psalms. Go to the Psalms. They're, they're, they're absolutely, these Psalms, like the Psalms are men who have struggled with these stories and they found hope and they found grace and they found freedom in the truth of who God is. So David is a beautiful picture, a beautiful example of this throughout scriptures saying in the scriptures, I am in desperate need for help. I am dying. I am, I am, I have enemies all around me. I'm running for my life yet, yet you are my rock. You are my God. I can trust in you. I can hope in you. You have told me, you have promised me. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. The Psalms are David and other psalmists combating their stories with the truth of our great God. So we're going to talk a lot about this in later episodes because this is very, very pivotal. So something else you need to realize is that through your, you, you're in your status quo, you have a trigger, 
your triggers create stories. Your stories are what convince you that going to pornography is a good thing. Your stories are what tell you that this is a good thing. I'm going to go to porn because this is the way I'm going to deal with it. Your stories give you the permission to do it. They give you the excuse. You convince yourself that it's a good idea. And so what happens next? Well, there are rituals that you undergo. Everybody has rituals. Everybody who struggles with porn has rituals. So what makes a ritual powerful? It's done in secret. It could be dangerous. It may involve a chase or a quest or pursuit, and they're done in anticipation of something rewarding. This is what makes them very, very powerful. Like nobody would know your, your rituals. Now, rituals can be short in nature. They can be, hey, a story is telling you to go look at porn. So you pull up Instagram and you scroll Instagram for a couple of minutes and then you go and you start looking at porn. That could be one ritual. It's very short or they could, a ritual could last a long time. You pursue someone, a relationship with someone. So what are some negative rituals? And you can, I would encourage you to write these down. I'm going to ask you to do it actually a little bit later. So what are some negative rituals? Well, drinking alone can be a ritual. Flirting with someone at work or gym or church, pulling up pictures of a model online can be a ritual because you tell yourself the story. Oh, I'm just going to look at the, these pictures. These aren't, this isn't nudity. So it's not that big of a deal. Going to bed after your spouse could be a ritual. This is one of mine. I, I knew like I wanted to look at porn. So I just waited for Allison to go to bed. Driving by a place you used to visit with an affair partner watching a movie with nudity, isolating yourself, getting on your phone or computer alone at the house, eating and sleeping poorly along with not exercising. Now these are kind of like ongoing rituals. Multiple days out of the word of God. So, and because you're telling yourself, Hey, I need to. So when men go to porn over and over and over again, like many times in a row or many days in a row, typically they're out of war, out of the word when, when Christians do this. So these are negative rituals. What are your rituals? What are your rituals? What do you do? And what do you do with rituals? Well, you, first you have to identify what they are. You have to identify what they are, and then you need to figure out, well, what do they need to be replaced with? So you can replace your rituals. So what are positive rituals? reading and studying the word of God every single day. That is how you build intimacy with the Lord. Praying and meditating on the word, writing notes of appreciation to your spouse, kids, and close friends. Like I used to write notepads, like sticky notepads, write a note to my son, Grant, write a note to my daughter, Mary Ryan, and write a note to Allison. And my kids would post them on their wall. Like they, I've got a picture of Grant that probably has hundreds of sticky notes all over his wall, just notes I've written him, like telling him how much I love him and how proud I am and, or encouraging him through the word of God. Now stopped doing the sticky notes. Grant's gone away to college. And now I send a text to my family almost every morning, just a text of love and appreciation, sharing something from God's word. So that's something that you can do working out is a very positive ritual. And, I, and listen, I, I don't want to talk about working out a whole bunch 
because there's plenty of people who work out and struggle with pornography. But if you're someone who's not doing anything physically, this is something that I believe you, you really need to do. It will teach you self-discipline if you do it, even when you don't want to. Eating healthy is a great ritual. Conversations with your band of brothers or somebody who you trust you can share with. Maybe it's, that's your spouse. Reading a great book. Like when you get a trigger and then instead of pulling up Netflix or HBO or something else or your phone, you can read a great book. Working around the house or in the yard. Going for a walk outside. Sleeping eight hours a night. I don't do this. I just slept seven hours last night. It was like a miracle. I couldn't believe I slept seven hours, but positive rituals, or these are really positive habits that you can incorporate into your life. I would just encourage you, if you're not doing any of these, then you need to start. Maybe you're doing one or two of these, man, what if, what if, what if you were doing all of these, how encouraging would that be? And remember, you're doing it for the purpose of giving God your glory. Like he's given you a body and a mind and to use it for purposes honoring to him. It's a good thing. So let's talk about our assignments. We're coming to a close here. Let's talk about our assignments. So your assignments, take time to write in your journal why you want to get well. What is your primary motivation? Be honest. Like what's it been? And then I'd encourage you to look at Exodus, read the story of the Exodus of God bringing his people from slavery to freedom. And what was his motivation that his name would receive glory among all nations. That was his motivation. Again, what was David's? You can see this all throughout scripture. It is a, it is something that never stops and shouldn't stop today. Journal about how your sin, so this is another assignment, journal about how your sin has become repetitive, degenerative, unmanageable, medicative, and destructive. Journal your history with porn and other sinful sexual behaviors. Journal your consequences. What has your struggle with porn and sexual sin cost you? And then think about your wounds. Have you, do you have any wounds? Like can you journal about those things? Like, what is it? What happened in your past that is filtering you, causing you to filter the truth of God's word and telling yourself a lie? Identify your triggers, identify your stories, identify your rituals, and then maybe even identify ways that you can replace some of those negative rituals with positive habits, positive rituals. Now, guys, this is like these, these are very, very practical things that I'm asking you to do. Many of you have never even thought about any of this stuff and that's okay. I hadn't either. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. It's very, very helpful to start is like to get serious about these things and start writing these things down. Take this seriously. If you just listen to the podcast and you don't write anything down, likely not going to help. If you watch this YouTube video and don't write any of this stuff, likely not going to help. So do you want to get well? It comes back to the question, do you want to get well? Well, guess what? You're going to have to actually do something. 
your theology has to lead to a strategy. Take what you believe, what you say you believe, and put it into practice. This is, these are some of the ways that we do that. I love this quote by John Piper because it's so true. To be caught in secret sin is a horrible thing. There's only one thing worse, not to be caught. Brothers, this is my testimony. In his grace and mercy, the Lord, like, <laughs> he, he allowed me to be caught. He stopped me from completely destroying my life. He saved me. He rescued me. I was in desperate help, and he rescued me. What does your, look, what does your life look like in 10 or 20 or 30 years if you continue on this, in this pattern that you're in? Man, I just pray that the Lord, I pray that nothing, it is a horrible thing to get caught, trust me, I, but, but I praise God for it right now. I praise God for it. And I'm going to leave you with this passage, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, we all know this passage, but I want you to stop just these two commands be sober minded be watchful be watchful again i'm reminded of my friend who went to uh iraq and he was on patrol he was with the marines and went on patrol in iraq and man the things that he he was like when we first got there the first 30 to 90 days we were on high alert everywhere we went we were like just like watching every single thing that is the Christian life. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. We're sober-minded when we think on and read and study and meditate and memorize the Word of God. That makes us sober-minded. All right, brothers. Listen, if you haven't left a review, I, I would appreciate it. You can subscribe to the youtube channel you can leave me a review on apple itunes it'd be awesome it helps other men if they're struggling and they come upon the uh they they come on the podcast and then they'll read your reviews and if you say things positive then great then man they'll listen and if you think it would be encouraging and helpful to them then i want to encourage you to do that all right brothers i'll be back with another episode